I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice where we fear no idea and we move through the weeds. <laughs> I had a good metaphor, <laughs> but I'm just, I was like, I feel like it's a good one. Let me, let me see if I can get it out. Where we move through the weeds that exist once we leave the clear-cut fields of agree and disagree. See, I made that up. I, I feel like it might be too abstract for people, but let's face it. We go into the weeds because agreeing and disagreeing, that's the boring space. Beyond it, it's much more interesting. My name's Conrad, and as usual, for my new listeners, welcome. You're very welcome to the show, but I've got to give you my honest warning of this podcast. This podcast is not for everybody. Our listenership is like a bit of a yo-yo. It goes up and down. I'll release an episode and everyone's like, oh, like I love that episode. That was really awesome. That viewpoint that was shared, I really agree. That was great. And then the next week, I'll release an episode with somebody with the opposite viewpoint, like maybe saying something offensive to that person. And then I just watch the followership just dip that week. So that's often the, the journey that this podcast takes, but we'll keep doing it because we're trying to delve into the space beyond only the things we agree with. Echo chambers are nice and comfortable, but they can be boring. So when you're a bit bored of your echo chamber, come here and we'll try and smash it just a little bit. <laughs> but if you're down to challenge yourself uh, by listening to new ideas and you're ready to have your trigger pants on, then you're in the right space. Now, this space is a live podcast practice, and all podcasts are recorded alive, so you can join in as everyone's jumping in now. If you have any questions as we're talking, send them through. We'll try and include them and answer them. And if you want to turn this podcast, which is a passive listen, into a practice, then three things you can do. One, listen to the episode that triggers you the most. Generally, that's the one you look at and go, I don't feel like listening to that. That means you should listen to it. Uh, and if you do that, then you can post on in, on the Insta post of the episode a question you wish, I, you wish I had asked. I can't ask all the questions. I'm only one person. Uh, so send through the questions you wish I ha- I'd have asked. And after the, after the episode, during the episode, send through a DM. We love hearing from you. What did the episode made you, make you think? Who should we talk to? What rabbit holes should I jump down? You let me know. So with that out of the way, all the... All the uh, housekeeping out of the way. It's great to welcome back, I'm going to say good friends of the show, Derek and Rachel, who you might know as your favorite heretics. Derek and Rachel, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you for having us again. Yeah. I feel It feels great to be back. I really enjoyed this. And I mean what I said on um, our story. Like, I walked away from our conversation like, oh my gosh. It was like an existential crisis for me. <laughs> It was wow! So good. In a good way. Oh well, that's well, that's good because you, you, yeah, you posted on your Instagram and it was quite complimentary. I'm like, oh, good questions. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's good. And Don't let me down. Like normally, <laughs> yeah, I've really uh, had to come up with some better questions. I guess you've set the bar high. All your listeners are like, man, this guy better ask bloody good questions. <laughs> yeah. I'll do my best. <laughs> so basically, if if I don't ask the right questions i'm relying on the live you you people live listening send through the questions you, you you kind of want me to go down but 
I think normally when we would get to this point with a with a new friend of the show, I would make some judgments about them and I don't really know them, so I would put the assumptions to them and they'd say yes or no. But we've done that already. So in that episode, if you want to uh, go back, I think the clickbait of that one was Toxic Theology and Church. And that's where uh, Derek and Rachel go over, you know, their journey a little bit more from the beginning. Um, but I, I guess for a bit of recap, uh, Derek and Rachel, do you just want to give a bit of a recap about who you guys are and what you're doing and what um, your favorite heretics is, just for anyone who's too lazy to do their homework and go back and listen? <laughs> um, so we started, uh, we actually were going to talk a lot about deconstruction theology and just different viewpoints and stuff, but it really quickly we found that there was a need to discuss a lot of church trauma. Um, and so that's where we found our fit and we have been growing um, exponentially with just amazing people and amazing community, finding one another, um, going through a lot of church trauma and church abuse and talking about, you know, toxic theology and stuff like that. Um, we started a Facebook group. That's like a community discussion. We just hit, hit 500 today. Um, and that's a really, really great platform too for people to connect and stuff. And it's just been like really cool to watch this whole thing transform before our eyes. Um, so yeah, we're just, we're just facilitating a conversation and making content every now and then that kind of discusses different aspects of church trauma and how to overcome it. And deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and I think there's a lot of, it seems like that is like deconstruction is a very common trend that happens for that's happening for millennials yeah. and you're doing a lot of work in that space helping people unpack the different theologies and last time we spoke you you we spoke about um you were talking about the some of the different doctrines or theologies that you were handed mm -hmm. and worldviews you were given that you found toxic or traumatic and really unhelpful mm -hmm. in in moving <laughs> forward and and we could have spoken for ages, but we had to cut that conversation short, which is obviously why we're back here to continue it. But I'm glad here on Ideas Digest that we have a very diverse listenership of worldviews, which is really great. And after our last chat, I got a lot of questions from the atheist listeners of our show. And the questions all essentially seem to be this one question, which is the clickbait title of this episode that we're going to go into. If church is, if church and, and when, when we say church, we're talking about, let's say mainly Protestantism. This is a very common trend within evangelicalism, a lot of conservative Protestant denominations. If it's so traumatic, causes so much harm, and is, is so difficult to, for people to deal with once they come out of it and leave it, why bother with Christianity? Why bother with church? Why bother with Jesus. That's the, that's the clickbait we're going with there. So I don't know where you both want to start. Maybe, maybe it might be a, an interesting place to start with both of your, because I know you have different journeys into Christianity. Maybe start at the, the beginning point because something pulled you in, especially for you, Rachel. You were an atheist, like Dawkins, great atheist, as, as we joked about last episode. And something mm -hmm. pulled you in. And, and Derek, you grew up evangelical, yeah? Yeah, um, but I had my own pulling in in a different way. Uh, it might be uh, interesting to start there and kind of, 
take it where you want to go, but initially something pulled you in <laughs> from both within and both and from the outside. Yeah. Maybe what was that? Um, so I guess I, I can start because I kind of have like some thoughts that I want to like preface everything with um, that I was thinking while you were talking. And um, there's a fan going off in the background. I'm sorry if you can hear it. <laughs> um, I think all of us are on a journey and we find what serves us and what doesn't serve us. And I'm careful to say that all um, of the church and all of that is toxic. And I don't want that to kind of be like the message that we drive home with, because I think like people are still in it. So it serves some people and, and, you know, a lot of the theology that I find very toxic, you know, some people find a lot of liberation in. Um, not something that I understand, but I know that some people find a lot of freedom in it. I think the problem is, is when you take that liberation and expect it for other people and you enforce that for them. And so I think the problem that I want to address more so is not the fact that, okay, like you believe that like, you know, wives should submit to their husbands and there's this like very, that is, I want to vomit. No, <laughs> um, like there's this very like anti-feminism movement within Christianity um, that's saying like radical feminism is like a city in and all this stuff, which is like laughable. Um, but that's fine to believe it is. If that's what you want to believe, I don't agree with it. I don't know how you can believe that denying women their rights. But the minute that you impose it on another person and enforce that um, doctrine onto that person of your worldview and your understanding of the Bible, that's the problem. So it's less about like, okay, this theology is toxic and more about the hypocrisy and how imposed and enforced a lot of biblical um, theology is being given as like gospel truth. Like if you're a Christian, you need to believe this. And so for me, like I got drawn in to Christianity and I guess had my conversion moment when I feel like I experienced radical love. Um, and that was a feeling that I had never felt before. So it was very experiential for me. Um, so when you say radical love, like how would you describe that? It just, in that moment, it's like kind of weird to think about because that's really the only reason that I'm not an atheist again, if I'm honest, was that moment. Um, you know, I, I kind of spoke last time about my eating disorder. I was in rehab. I got out of rehab. Um, I got AMA, which is against medical advice. They had to kick me out basically because um, I had been through the program so many times. And so I was just like helpless and um, not wanting to really go on. And I, you know, my sister who was dating a woman at the time brought me to church. Um, and, you know, I was about to start the 12 steps and they said, open your heart to finding higher power. It doesn't matter what your higher power is. Just put something faith in something greater than yourself. And then I like tried worshiping for the first time in my whole life. It was really embarrassing and awkward. And like, I feel like in that moment, like I received like, I guess a spiritual experience and it's hard. And I go back to it because like, 
oh, I was in a Christian church. Does that mean that it was the Christian God? You know what I'm saying? And so it's kind of like questioning everything, like, or was that just like a divine moment that like, I believe that um, like the higher power was able to like speak to me and that, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's hard. It's yeah. I'm questioning with that, but yeah. Cause there is, there is something you're, you're pulling out there that I think is, is interesting that I've come across quite a lot. And that is in a, in a lot of uh, addiction work, the 12 step program that you're describing, you went through something similar. It is almost like in those programs, which, uh, you know, people like Russell Brand would say are quite successful because he subscribes to a lot of the 12 step program. There is the higher power element to those 12 steps. And what you're saying is that that higher power element was in fact central to your movement away from difficult circumstances and addiction and things like that. Does that sound like a, about right? Yeah. And that, um, that was going into evangelicalism for me, you know, was like, oh my gosh, like this divine love is so great. How can you deny this divine love? And just kind of turn me into like one of those like terrible, like, okay, I won't say terrible. I'm sorry. That's bad. <laughs> uh, turn me into a very like radical person who I see now a lot of the errors of my ways, which is not letting people think freely, like putting my experience and my understanding of, and my worldview onto others, um, overstepping boundaries, just doing a lot that like Christians justify that are not like common practices that you would have in a respectful adult relationship, you know, a healthy, respectful mm-hmm. adult relationship. Um, so that was kind of like, I I had this experience. I was indoctrinated very quickly. I got a mentor. I got involved in the church. And so it was like, it was indoctrination. Like I had this amazing experience and then the Christian Bible was handed to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like I ate it up because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Like you're supposed to find this mentor. You're supposed to not trust the, your heart. You're supposed to lean onto like older and wiser counsel. I did all those things. Um, And I just kind of like, looked one day and like everything in my life was Christian. Like I was not relatable to anybody else. And that was kind of my undoing. It was like, is this love? Like is me telling somebody that they're burning in hell for eternity because they don't believe like me is that love is that's conditional. And it just felt so conditional every time I was talking to people and it just made me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, And so that's why I really think that a lot of, church is toxic is because it strips you of your autonomy. It strips you of free thinking. It strips you of questioning, like everything that you're encouraged to do as an adult um, is just, you're reduced to a child that doesn't really know what they want or what they need. And I don't think that that, you know, is appropriate. And, and Derek, your, what would you identify as that? I suppose, born again moment for you as you're going deeper into the Christian evangelical world? Yeah. So I grew up with a very uh, like moralistic sort of perspective when it came to Christianity. Like don't say bad words. Don't like, you know, basically it was just like performance based, you know, very ritualistic. I needed to read the Bible every day and pray or else God wasn't 
happy with me. And that turned into an exhausting just hamster wheel where I'm just absolutely exhausting myself because I feel like I'm never good enough for God. Um, and so for me, what really fundamentally changed was an experience too, and an ongoing experience of the realization of one, the nearness of God, um, but like the father heart of God. And so um, I remember reading a book by Brennan Manning called Abba's Child. And uh, coming into this realization that I'm loved unconditionally uh, by Abba. And so that language, Abba, which is like an Aramaic word for father, that's very tender. It's like saying dad or, you know, papa or something like that. And so for me, that became kind of like this ongoing process of realizing that I'm I'm a son of God. And I, I, I don't want this to sound like overly churchy, but this is like very personal. Like this is like some real stuff that undid a lot of performance. I felt like I had to do all these things in order to be enough for God and like all these things in order to belong. And for me, as time went on, I experienced real freedom and knowing that now, like there's nothing that I need to do. Like I'm, I'm completely and totally loved. And so for me, it was like an ongoing unfolding process of encountering love. Like, I mean, that's really what it was. And, and for me, uh, the more I understood the source of this love is being Abba and, and uh, coming to see myself through that perspective, it really changed my life. Um, Yeah. I stopped the whole legalistic religious game and yeah, it started unfolding more. And then when I became a dad, I was like, I'm experiencing this from another angle. And I just began to have love for my, my son. And that's when I started having questions about hell. I was like, I don't know if this is it. I think we're missing something. And so I began being exposed to other theology, like around, uh, you know, uh, universal reconciliation, which is just a fancy theological word for basically God's heart is for everyone to be restored and to fully know that they're loved. Right. And so, yeah, it just really resonated deeply within me. And that kind of was the beginning of the end of all the, the bullshit and toxic theology for me in my life. But there's this interesting thread and, and it, the interesting place where it seems you both sit mm-hmm. is in this ever increasing liminal space between theist and atheist in its traditional definitions. You know, mm-hmm. we're told that you can be either Christian or atheist. Right. And what, what data is bearing out is that churches now with our generations are at all time lows, but on surveys, the atheist box is still not being ticked. And, sure. you know, they're calling them uh, like, what is it? Spiritual, spiritual nuns or something. They just, they just say like, they don't fit any category and people will say they're uh, spiritual, but not religious. And I, right. and I think talking with you here last time, if, if I'm to do my best to summarize, I was listening back to, to our, our chat before and, there is this there is this something that pulled you in that you're saying is true and is worth it and you're finding value in your life as you live um, with this worldview but then you unpack things that are unhelpful unhelpful and one of I think if I'm trying to identify like this great this gateway drug idea that leads people from the traditional church as far as I, with my conversations with people into this 
spiritual agnosticism, but still very much using Christian language or open to other religious um, ideas. And it, it seems one of those central gateway drugs ideas is the one that it seems like both of you realized we don't have this monopoly on capital T truth. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of conservative religious people go, no, no, this is the truth. And if, if this is the truth, then, and I have it, then therefore by default, everyone else is wrong. And what I notice in our conversations, and I think Rachel, you said it explicitly is that you're saying, I realized the, I like, what's right for me may not be right for everybody else. And who am I to impose this on everybody else? And in fact, the loving thing to do is to create space for other people to be themselves and learn from them rather than to kind of force this dogmatic one small box on it. And it sounds like when you embrace that idea, um, which obviously it's very heretical within traditional churches to say that truth is subjective that's something they go oh you're saying truth is subjective in a, in a way you're saying you're kind of saying that and when you accept that idea it's led you on the journey you've kind of yeah. been on what would you like to kind of add to that um those thoughts i've put there yeah i'll jump in real quick um so i i think about a, a guy named jared bias he and pete ends have a great podcast um the bible for normal people and Jared has talked about how there's a lot of uh, misconception around what is truth, right? I mean, uh, like a lot of times we, you know, talk about objective versus subject subjective truth. And I think that the reality is, is that there may be objective truth, but we can't objectively get there. Like we are all subjective creatures and... I think the temptation oftentimes within fundamentalism and, you know, most conservative evangelical circles is to just be like, well, the Bible clearly says, mm -hmm. right. And so that becomes just like an excuse to uh, be comfortable with cognitive dissonance or be comfortable with just kind of sweeping things under the rug and not thinking critically. Um, I, I think that there's a, a measure of, comfort and not having to question and not having to um, challenge conventional thought. Um, but the whole reason why we even called ourselves heretics, one, to wear like a scarlet letter that we were branded by a lot of friends as and wear it as a, you know, a, a badge of honor. Um, but it was because we wanted to turn the word heretic upside down. Heretic just really means thinking outside of the box and thinking differently and challenging what's conventional. And so for me, um, I, I want us all to be able to rethink what is what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to know God? What does it mean for us to be alive? Like all of these fundamental questions, we're all trying to figure out together. And um, I, I think that uh, the whole fear-driven theology that exists within a lot of evangelicalism, it, it, it's like you don't want to question too much or else you'll fall away. You don't want to doubt too much because that's an enemy to your faith. Well, you don't want to like think too much outside of the box because then, you know, you're in the temptation of being deceived by Satan. Well, yeah. I think that's also, if I can jump in real quick, um, like it, it's kind of one of those things where like as a, a human adult, um, 
where, you know, you have good cognitive ability, your all, all of that stuff. Um, there's really no point unless you're harming yourself or harming someone else to impose on somebody's beliefs. I, and I think that that's pretty like standard. Um, but I think where like the catch 22 comes in with evangelical Christians is they, they can tell themselves, well, they're harming themselves and they're harming other people because they're leading them down the path of destruction and they're walking to hell and they're like laughing about it, you know, just like praying down to hell with all these questions. And so it's like, then, and, and that's kind of where like the toxicity become, comes in is because you, you've convinced yourself that everybody who doesn't believe like you is going to hell. Therefore, it is your job because you have the truth to tell people and warn people, you know, and therefore boundaries don't matter because they're a danger to themselves. Um, this doesn't matter. If you hate me, it doesn't matter because you're a danger to yourself. Right. And at the same time, I'm pleasing God by telling you that you persecuted. are a danger to yourself. And, and it's like a confirmation bias. And so it's like very hard to reason with that mindset because it's like, well, no, like if you just kind of like look out of your box and challenge your beliefs a little bit, this actually isn't, you know, valid. And you don't have a right to assault my boundaries and you don't have a right to tell me what to believe just because you think that I'm going to hell. You know, I get that you're trying to do the best by me and you're trying to do what's right for your faith, but it's, it's very, very hard to deconstruct and in a community that believes that they're doing the best thing for you by stripping you of everything that you are, which is like a smart adult, one that, you know, should pursue questions, like every other thing else that adults should be doing. Um, what you're describing there, do you think that would be the... Ex the practical extension of a doctrine of total human depravity yeah. being like humans don't know right. we don't know what's best we're just right. evil Deceived. evil beings like the heart and is so, wicked mm -hmm. and so they can then say to like everybody is what what you're saying there Rachel is like it impo it it crosses these boundaries are those boundaries you talking you're talking about the boundary saying you're experiencing this, Rachel and Derek, and that's wrong. And you, you're asking these questions and you shouldn't. And you can't trust yourself. Is that the boundary that seems to be being crossed is the fact that you both can't be trusted or... Yeah, I think it's, I think it's bigger too. I think it's um, like, yes, like your ways can't be trusted. Your heart can't be trusted. It's wicked. It's all this stuff. And there's this culture of like excommunication um, where like there's a lot threatened that you just don't really realize until you start walking down that path of like, like you feel belittled and you feel mocked and you have these like Christian leaders who are once your biggest cheerleaders, like making fun of you and like doing just things that you're like, wait, you're the one that I've been under for, for X amount of years or, you know, just so quick to cut somebody off. And so it's like, it's really this like culture of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to toss them out kind of thing. And nobody thinks that they're going to be the one to do that. Like Christians are so loving and, and everything is justified because when truth is, well, God told me this, then you can't argue, you know, you can't say mm. that you're wrong because you can't argue with God. 
And so that's what we're seeing. And I hate to bring up politics. And this is the only thing that I'm going to say. <laughs> but when you have a lot of people convinced that a certain political leader is of God, you can't challenge that, mm -hmm. you know, because God is the ultimate authority in their minds. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it just really skews truth, you know, and, and what is truth? Let me, let me just hop in and, and just say, I think that what the danger is too, and what I was trying to get out earlier, when you construct so much of the theology that has existed for so long, especially within evangelicalism uh, and Protestantism, that's centered in fear, you know, there's this, there's this natural product byproduct, which is control. Like you're afraid of punishment or damnation or whatever. So you need to control people to make them feel like they need to stay in line or else they're in danger of, of being eternally separated from God. And so, um, like, for example, with the whole inerrancy thing with, with scripture, like, you can't challenge the Bible because it's, 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 it's perfect. So it's, you're the one who's wrong. Every word is true. And like, like funny because the creation story can, like contradicts itself, but we won't get into that, but it's just like very obvious things that should be like to any other person is very glaring, but when you're in it, it's just, it, it, it is what it is, you know, but you can't argue because it's, it's God. I, I think when you let go of certainty, though, mm -hmm. and you move away from non-dual thinking, yeah. you begin to actually go into this very uncomfortable place of like, oh, shit, like, I don't have a lot of ground to stand on. I can't just use pat answers and cliches and cling to, well, the Bible clearly says, but is that is that okay? <clears throat> Do we need to be dogmatic? Do we need to like you know, feel like we've, we stand in our ivory towers theologically and feel like we need to throw stones at people down beneath us and keep people away? Or do we get on the ground level and realize that we're all just trying to do the best that we can to figure this out and, you know, coming to conclusions with the best of our abilities? We're all subjective humans. Like, but I think all of us at the end of the day agree that we want to be loved, we want to feel love, and we want to love other people. And I think that that's also the core of, in the essence of even what Jesus has shown in scripture and who, you know, if God is love, that means that should be pretty much the center of how we're supposed to reflect him as image bearers, right? So anyway, that's it. You, you both occupy almost comfortably this this line between the religious worldview and the and the non-religious worldview using religious language and you're there's there's something that you're the thing that it sounds like you're really pushing hard against is the way in which beliefs are used to control or impose certain agendas and so it sounds like what you're hearing is a, a particular group of people will say, this is the truth. And then they'll use God to say, well, God told me this or God prayed for this or he's God's leader. And then you can't question that because they've, they've appealed to a greater, almost in the attempt to use it as an objective authority. But you're in this kind of in-between where it's like, my experience is telling me the opposite. And I feel like what you're doing is using your experience to tell me what I can do with my experience. 
And to answer one of the questions, or to ask one of the questions that uh, Michaela has put through in the live Roger chat. Roger Sack is my Kurt Cobain. That is a comment that needs to be pinned forever. <laughs> I love Brad Jersak. I have a mad uh, theological man crush on him. I hope you see this, Brad. Oh, Brad Jersak, if you're wondering who that Brad Jersak is, we did an episode with him uh, a couple of weeks back. You could, you could check that out for a, a, a mid-ideas digest plug or just check out his work. Um, the, the question Michaela asks is, does what we experience, because it sounds like you're pushing back against this dogmatic way of saying, this is the way the world really is. But then you're saying, my experience is telling me that that's not helpful. And so people will ask, well, does our experience just make something true? You see, there's this this difficult in-between space where you're saying, this doesn't feel like love to me and you're telling me this is the way reality is. But then you're also saying back to them, well, I think that's also your experience that you're elevating into objective truth and then controlling people with it. Yeah, what do you say to people that say, well, does what we experience necessarily make it true? And how, how do we work out what is what is true? I think that, you know, people, whether or not they want to be intellectually honest, that's what we're all doing. We can appeal to, you know, well, the Bible clearly says, for example, or we can appeal to, you know, some other thing and call it objective truth, but we are still basing it off our experience of what we call objective truth. And because not everyone, even who, let's say, holds to scripture being, um, you know, inerrant, right? There's still 30, 40, you know, the the number keeps changing, 30 to 40,000 denominations around the world that ascribe to Protestantism or, or even, you know, let's say bigger Christianity. And the, the reality is, is like, okay, well, if we all believe that we're holding this one thing objectively, then actually it's because we're subjective still. And actually it's because we're, we're using our experience mm-hmm. and maybe tradition, which is still based off experience and some other things yeah. thrown in there. But it's like using so careful if- language mm-hmm. to try to make it seem like it's not based off of our experience that's keeping people from being intellectually honest. So, so you're saying that, so even if theoretically you could believe that there is an objective truth out there that can be known, Mm -hmm. you're saying it's near impossible for us to know it, but through subjective experience. So because of that caveat of it's coming through subjective, we must hold everything lightly mm-hmm. and with humility in order to go, well, it is, I'm coming at this with my experience. It doesn't necessarily make it true. But when I see you come at me with something that's your experience that you're saying is objectively true, I'm going to be hesitant and wary of that. Right. And I honestly, like, as we're talking, you know, I'm in therapy right now. I love it. I've been in therapy like most of my life, but this new therapist that I have literally the best Um, and it's like, honestly given me a passion to go back and get my master's in mental health. Um, but a lot of what I'm leaning most towards as far as like truth, I really believe like the study of psychology will bring us closer, closest to that. Um, because the only truth that I really believe that we can hold on to is like what we know and what we know is like sociology, psychology, like how we function in communities, how we function mentally, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. Like, why is it that all of this theology 
that is so harmful in Christianity, why is that good? That's not psychologically sound. You know what I'm saying? This cognitive dissonance of, well, this is actually good for you, even if it feels like absolute shit. You know, that's not, that does not work. I'm sorry. Because, like, if our brains and our personalities and people are what is true and right in front of us, why would we, like, completely assault all of that and say, like, no, this is true because it's in a book? You know, and like, I'm not dissing the Bible. I think the Bible is valuable. I also think the Quran is val valuable. I also think a lot of other religious texts are very valuable. I lean more towards the Bible because that's the culture that I'm a part of. And that's, you know, the faith that I, I believe that I found. And at the same time, I know that truth is functional when it is done with one another. And I that kind of sounds weird, but... You know, like, I can sit here and argue the Bible. I can sit here and argue my political stance, but that doesn't make it true. You know, what is true is how we interact as people, and what is true is how we relate to one another and are in community and love one another. That's true. And so I just have a really, really hard time. Like, people ask me if I'm Christian still. People ask me if I love Jesus, where I stand on the Bible, where I stand about this. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, if I'm honest, if I'm just being, like, so blunt, I do not care. That is yeah. not my concern. My concern is how I relate to other people's individuals. If I leave them better than I found them, if I'm adding to their life, if I'm adding to my own life, if I'm understanding my needs and growing as a human, like that to me is true. It's not when, how, how well I know the Bible, what I know theologically. That's just, yeah. I, I'm just like in this place where I'm like, you can call me a Christian or not really i like that's your beef if you want to try and sit here and like jigsaw puzzle that all i know is that love does not hurt and if love does hurt it's for the betterment of that person because like when my therapist who is the safest person in my life sits there and loves me it is so uncomfortable for me she's not judging me she's not telling me what to believe it's just the presence of love is hard because we're so used to insecure attachment that when we have a safe attachment it's hard so that's when love should hurt is because it's challenging us to to love ourselves deeper and to love other people deeper yeah. so like that's truth to me it's not sitting here figuring mm. out like if god is real or if god's not real you know like i believe that god is real i i feel like i am a better person and a more whole person in my experience having received love from him but I'm not going to say that that's true for the next individual. All I can know is, am I loving that person? Am I leaving them better than I found them? You know? And so that's just kind of like where I'm in this, like, deconstruction, not deconstruction. People want to, like, say, we get messages all the time. Well, you guys don't believe in the Bible. You guys don't believe it's an errant. I'm like, well, am I loving my neighbor? That's, that's actually something I, I'm really glad you said. Um, I, I know I keep throwing names out here, but Richard Rohr, uh, he wrote, you know, a book that I had read. I want to read way more of his stuff. He's amazing. I'm sure many people on here probably could say the same, but um, he wrote a book talking about like mysticism. And he was saying a lot of what Western Christianity has done has made it about just ascribing to certain doctrinal beliefs. So you can like mentally assent to these particular doctrine, uh, doctrinal tenets and say you like believe these things mentally, 
but you, your life is totally fucked and you're literally a hateful, bigoted, judgmental piece of shit. And I was one of those people in a lot of ways, you know, like legitimately, like you can get away with believing things and check all the boxes when it comes to theology, but your life can look like utter shit. You can be totally like anxious and an anxious mess. You can have like a very self-righteous attitude. You can, um, you know, be this person who, you know, um, hates the LGBTQ plus community, whatever it may be. Like the reality is, is that theology, when it comes just to be about the mind and there's no life transformation, there's no love of other people, then it becomes a weapon. And if it's all about just mentally assenting to these things, then what is the point anyway, if it's, you know, we focus so much on what we believe instead of our way of being, our way of life, loving people, like exactly what Rachel said. So why don't we focus more on our actions, our lifestyle, what, who we're loving, how we're being, how we're carrying ourselves? Are we being more empathetic? Are we being more giving of ourselves? Are we caring for our neighbors around us? Like, can people see Jesus through our actions? Like if we're, if we're ascribing to the Christian worldview, like we've said we are, like, can Jesus be seen through our actions? Or are we just saying, well, I believe this, this, and this, and just turn around and I, you know, my, my family's a mess. Like all this shit is upside down in my life, whatever it may be. So. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, mostly what I'm frustrated about is the deep hypocrisy, the, um, covering up of abuse, this like sick, twisted power that's within the church that like, I just can't get behind. So like God can be love and the Bible can be inerrant and Jesus can be real and all of these things. But I know that the modern day church is nowhere near what is true because of how like they protect the institution over they protect the, over their people and it like it was really mm-hmm. sad because i listened to and I, I hate to name drop but ravi zacharias like i when i was starting my deconstruction it was so hard for me because i was like well ravi believes this and ravi is such an amazing scholar and then when he passed away all of this stuff came out about all his sexual assaults and that like that was so hard hitting for me because it was like god like it is protecting the power it's protecting the money it's protecting the institution because if you see a crack people are gonna people are gonna leave Mm -hmm. they don't want to be a part of that you know and and i think people and and millennials Mm -hmm. are seeing those cracks because like we just like I love Gen Z. I love millennials because they just don't take shit. They don't take the whole like, like, like covering it up and working really hard just isn't good enough. You know, it's like, who, who am I as a person? And we get shit on by the older generation for it, you know, but I'd much rather that be what we're known for and like paving a better way because trauma is generational. It doesn't just stop because you're born. And, and your your parents cover you in trauma and then you have children and you raise them the way that's familiar to you. It's generational. And we're breaking that. And we're under that's not working. Non-controversially, as much as some people who might be within the Christian tradition might find it controversial, but there, there's the elements that is non-controversial. And that is, it sounds like you're essentially saying 
what matters to me is not the labels, but the fruits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's plenty of passages in the Bible saying like, what, like, look at, by the fruits, you will know them, right? And that's kind of what I'm hearing in what you're saying. It's like, when people ask you, are you Christians? I suppose, you know, the, the biblical answer would be, well, what, what do you say I am? And whatever you say, doesn't really matter. I'm trying to do these things that lead to more love and better relationships and all of those things. And the label doesn't seem to matter to you as much. And so to pivot, to pivot a little bit, because obviously you've, you've grown up or been within this tradition that caused so much damage and harm. And some of the questions coming through in the chat are the same questions that I keep hearing. I've had personal conversations that they're the same questions. So when people ask you, are you a Christian? I understand there's that level of like, who cares? For some people, that question is a weapon. That question is, are you in or are you out? Right. But for you without those categories or those implications behind an answer, it sounds as if you sit and wrestle within the Christian denomination and framework. Would you say that if you were to, without baggage, identify yourself as defined by how you'd want to define it, would you use the word Christian? I would. I don't think Rachel would, but I don't want to answer for her. I would. Honestly, one of the healthiest people I hear talk about this, I keep name dropping. I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's just, anyway, William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. Um, I don't know if you yeah. got the chance to do any episodes with him. Um, I'm sure that'd be incredible. No, I think, I think I'm emailing him at the moment, but yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he, um, he always says evangelicals are his people and he says it from a place of such like genuine, like love. And it's like, I think oftentimes the temptation is that you've deconstructed and then you're like, fuck evangelicalism. I'm swinging to the other side of the pendulum and I'm a fundamentalist progressive. And then you're just like equally as like toxic, but kind of inclusive or, you know what I mean? It's like, are we just trading weapons here? Are we just going to like hate the other side or can we be like, you know, have strong boundaries and recognize there's a lot of real trauma and shit that we've gone through and, and a lot of unhealthiness and this, this whole structure in this system is broken, but how can we still love people who are within this broken system and, you know, not be part of the division that, you know, we experience or the, the pain, you know what I mean? Cause like the, the last thing that needs to happen is for us to just trade fundamentalism from conservative fundamentalism to a more liberal progressive fundamentalism. And so I, yeah, I just want us to be in a place where I kind of meandered, but like loving people. Part of what I'm hearing is saying, I'm from this worldview. I belong to it, even though people might say to you, you don't belong to it. And so part of, it sounds like part of what keeps you around is they're your tribe and they're still part of your family, even if they reject you. But I suppose the next questions that are, that a lot of people go into, maybe I'll fire a lot of the questions at you and you can kind of read them how you want and how you would respond to them because they would, they would just be like, um, someone put through in the comments, be a loving, caring person, fuck Jesus. And that like people, people have said to me um, when talking about these topics, it's like, what would you say to 
like why Jesus then? Why why the Bible? Why do you hang on to that book? Would you hand that book to somebody else and say this is a helpful, useful book, or would you not do that? What is it about this tradition that keeps you using Christian language, uh, reading Christian or, or like on some level Christian authors um, with from that background? What keeps you in there to say that the like, would you say the Bible is important? Would you say that Jesus is important? Why? So for me, I I really love the healing process. Um, and so for me, like right now, like I, I have to study the Bible from an academic perspective for my the, the remainder of my um, degree. Um, I'm literally in a Gospel of John class, and I'm in a Trinity class, and I'm in a woman in church history class. So I have a lot of, you know, I had to read the creation story over and over and over for one of my assignments. Um, But for me, I think there can be a lot of beauty in it. And Rachel Held Evans said something and put it really, really well. Like, if you want to find a vision in the Bible, you'll find it. If you want to find unity in the Bible, you'll find it. If you want to find hate, if you want to find love. If you want to find, um, you know, whatever else. And so I think it's the person. I don't think it's necessarily the Bible, if that makes sense. So for you, Rachel, if, if somebody said to you, would you hand the Bible to somebody and say, read this, this is an important book? It sounds like your answer would be no. And so if somebody said, is Jesus... Like, would you tell somebody about the figure, Jesus, whether that be historical or as the son of God, what would your answer be to that? Yeah. Um, So for me, like, I still like, no, I will not call myself a Christian. And I I know that you said like, kind of like go under the fluff. Like, do I believe in the Trinity? Yeah, I believe in the Trinity. Um, And it kind of stops there. So for me, like, I, I, I do love Jesus. I, that's kind of like what's having me hang on to Christianity. Um, and so I would say like, I just want to jump in there. Cause when you, when you say I do love Jesus, I feel like you're using that in a slightly different way to the way you hear it for 20 years growing up in the church. When, cause you say, Oh, I love Jesus. When you're saying I still love Jesus, what do you specifically mean by that? Um, so for me, like, because I did not grow up with the Bible stories, like, I feel like i got an unfiltered view of the person of Jesus in a lot of ways. Um, But it was like God, the father, that was really, really hard for me. I think it's that way for most people. Um, And so when I say I I do love Jesus, it's through deconstruction, I have found the person of Jesus in God, the father. Um, And so for me, like, I believe that Jesus is, is deity. Um, and if that makes me a Christian, I, I, it, it is what it is for me that that's right now. I don't know where I'm going to be in a few months, but right now that's where I am. <laughs> There's those words of like, I believe Jesus is deity is being like people might, the literal interpretation of that, which I think most of Protestantism lives within, they would go, there is a literal man that came to earth, died, raised again, is now up somewhere in existence as some level of human or some level of being that's out there. That's now a deity. So it's almost like a Zeus type construct. When you use that word of Jesus is deity, like what, how does it? I mean, this is kind of like getting more into theology, but like, 
like the Trinity. Like I believe that, you know, I don't know as much of what I believe is like, as far as like he died and rose again and all of that stuff. Um, again, ask me in a few months, it might change. Like, I do believe that Jesus embodied the fullness of love. And that's kind of where it stops for me. Um, but as far as like, I would give somebody the person of Jesus before I gave them the Bible. Um, and, but that's also incredibly hard to answer because I'm not going to sit there and give somebody the person of Jesus. So it's kind of a trick question because I believe like giving somebody love for me, that's, that's more valuable than giving somebody like, Oh, like, do you believe in Jesus? Like, here's the person of Jesus. Like I can point to a million great examples that are, are like, that are examples of love that I don't have to involve Jesus because for me, like when I was an atheist, I didn't want to, if somebody said the word Jesus, I was like, okay, we're done. That's it. You know? And, and, you know, that was more like evangelicalism, but it's such a convoluted thing within America, especially um, that if I say, you know, here's Jesus, there's so much baggage. So if I'm trying to love somebody who I know is an atheist or who I know does not share the same belief as me, I'm not going to sit there and be like, here's Jesus. You know, that's just not respectful. Interesting. Interesting. So you're saying Jesus is just one representation of what it likes, what it looks like to love people to their fullest. And for some people that might be a helpful figure to look at, but for others, it might be a hindrance to love. And therefore you're saying it's less important to introduce Derek. When, when you hear those questions like that, that are coming through, like, like why, why do you need this religious faith? Like, why not just ditch it and leave it? Like, you can still love people. You can still be a good... Um, so Lawson just puts through hashtag vague. And I think that's how a lot of people read it. But that... And, and, and like, when... Like, people that say that and go, oh, it's this, like, in-between. Like, why bother keeping it at all? Why not just say I'm an atheist, say I want to love people, and just ditch it all? Because there's yeah. so much baggage. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I'll just answer real quickly. Like, I believe in the historical Jesus, like, son of God, uh, you know, lived perfect life, born of a virgin, died, rose again, all that stuff. Like, that hasn't changed. Um, and honestly, like, I, I've found a lot of beauty in, like, some of tradition, like patristic theology. And that's a lot of thanks to, like, people like Brad Jersak and some other folks like that who have made me want to recover kind of like the roots of so like even the word radical like it, it comes from the word root and like so getting radical is like really returning to the roots and like like kind of returning back to the basics of what is christianity and like i don't know i i think like a lot of deconstruction doesn't have to be like fuck all of this like maybe for some people that's what it is but for me it's like returning to the basics and like simplifying everything so for me, like Eastern tradition and like Eastern uh, like church fathers, um, like a lot of those awesome people, um, I, don't, I don't even need to like go through all that. A lot of that's kind of helped me, I don't know, like hold on to the person of Jesus too. And like beyond just, of course, me saying, well, my experience and like belief. Okay, she's, she's messing with the mic and it's throwing me off. I've got ADD guys. Okay um it's true he's not just making a, a joke he doesn't yeah no <laughs> you're doing really well this is a long interview <laughs> um but anyway like really just 
trying to throw away the the baggage that has come with a lot of things that have been tacked on to who Jesus is. And so like iconoclasm is like a really fancy way of saying like, just like tearing away like these false images of, uh, of who Jesus is. So for me, largely experience, I feel like I know that Jesus is a person who's alive today. I don't think he's floating in the clouds on some throne. I think that we read the Bible very literally um, and Carl Barth says, like, if, you know, I take the Bible too seriously to, to read it le- literally. Um, and so for me, like, I don't think Jesus is far off in heaven all the way, you know, 7 million miles away past that galaxy on the right. Like, I believe heaven is here and heaven is all around us. And it's, it's another realm that we can't fully perceive. And so I, I believe Jesus to be within all people and his presence to invade uh, all things, and that we all exist within the very presence and and person of God, and that he is the ground of our being. And so the the reality is that there's just a lot of confusion because of the way that we have, because of our hermeneutic and how we read and understand scripture. So for me, Jesus Yes, historically recognizing who he is and, you know, creedal things, but him as a person who I know him to be, uh, it all goes back to knowing the embodiment of love, right? So, yeah. And to me, like, he's too he's too valuable. The gospel's too valuable for me to let go. So it's not a matter of need. Like, I mean, yeah, there's a matter of need in some sense, but like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I hope I don't let it go kind of thing. I, I, I just know him like a friend. And like that may sound really cliche but like like he truly is my best friend and well yeah go i suppose go even deeper into that because what we're talking about is what you experience when you have this worldview when you have this worldview yeah because theology is is theory right it's like i think the universe is kind of like this and that's what religion has done we think yeah. the universe is like this and you're saying i i think and you both stepped away from saying this is how it is, which is why it's really interesting and cool to see you both go, oh, I'd probably like get rid of the Bible. And you're like, no, I really want to keep it. It's that loose handedness that allows the other to exist as well. But I guess drilling into that yeah, yeah. is to say um, for you, because a lot of, like what, what I hear in a lot of people and maybe a little bit in you, Rachel, but not as much as some others, w- what I hear is this level of, when people talk to me, they go, there's so much trauma here. This language is useless. Don't mention Jesus to me because mm-hmm. those people who are going down the streets in their truck, in their trucks with flags, we won't say what's on the flag and ramming other cars say, do it in the name of Jesus. That's my Jesus. So don't, don't give me that name and people deconstruct it because there's too much trauma attached to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess what I want to dig into for, for you, Derek, is that for you, even growing up within it, there's a little, there's a bit of trauma that you've unpacked, but you're saying, when I believe that, that Jesus is all around and this, we live and move in this, mm-hmm. um, almost divine space where, um, the kingdom of heaven is here. And you say, I feel like Jesus is my best friend. Talk to me about, I guess, your experience of that. What, what emotions does it lead yeah. you to? What, what attitudes does it inspire within you towards others and things like that? For sure. Um, so for me, uh, I mean, I think 
I, I owe a lot to some of my charismatic background, to be honest, to know that God is not a, an idea to know about, but a, a person, a being to experience. Um, and, you know, without getting into all of that, like having a genuine, um, like treating prayer, not as like, I'm just throwing all my, my, you know, laundry list of prayer requests at, at God kind of thing. And more of making it about like, I I just kind of want to like be right now or like journal what I feel like God's telling me. And like, so I do that on my phone. Like I just, you know, every, I don't know if every day, but like regularly, I'll just kind of listen to what I feel like God is telling me. And, you know, usually it's something that I need to hear and be reminded of. And so it's contemplative, it's meditative, it's, it's personal. Um, so Um, yes, he is everyone's bestie. You better accept it or else. No, uh, sorry, someone's question. So, um, yeah, when I say like we live and move and have our being in him, like I, I think that there's a cosmic nature to the person of Jesus that is all inclusive to all humanity. And that because all things, again, I don't want to get super like cliche, but like, I really do believe we're we're in existence because of this common bond, which is we're all made to be one together and also realizing our oneness with God. Um, And so that's kind of what friendship looks like. So yeah, it's experiential. It's this, these practices. And how does that, I suppose, lead you into, into the love you're talking about? Yeah. How does, how does that lead you to interact with other people that you think, uh-huh. It is more difficult when you don't have that construct. So for me, like as I prioritize receiving love from like, I'll get super like not cliche. Like the more I prioritize receiving love from the divine, like the more I'm able to love myself and in turn thereby give love away. Um, and so I, I really do believe that when I'm not, personally like when i'm not doing that i'm not as loving and giving as a person um these comments sorry they're getting me personal jesus by depeche mode (laughs) um but anyway i i really do think that the more we realize our belovedness we're able to then love other people because when we receive love we're able to then love the parts of other people that maybe they're not able to love in themselves and they're in turn able to be unlocked from this place of shame or fear or guilt or hopelessness or whatever it may be and it's like like if god is love and we're made of him like and made to be love then the more we operate in love, the more other people are able to experience God, whether they have language for that or not. And they're able to be more alive and, and experiencing what they were made for and made from and made in. And, and anyway, I'm done. Yeah, I think I think what I'm hearing is this very common thread between when you accept this, you can accept yourself. Because I mm-hmm. think if the mental health epidemic globally within the west shows us something is that 
it's very hard to love ourselves and accept ourselves yeah. with our flaws, with our humanity and all of these things. And we might externalize it onto other people being like, that guy's a dickhead and that guy <laughs> needs to, and we, and we, we like to do those sorts of things. And it sounds like the very thing you were pushing against within the Christian tradition when you were formerly a part of it was the part of it that said you weren't good enough. And it seems like that on some level has become the central message of a lot of Christianity saying you're not good enough, but don't worry, Jesus can stand in front of you. Yeah. And you almost are saying a very similar thing, but with a very different take that says you are good enough. You've always been good enough. And Jesus isn't a thing to accept. It's just everywhere and all around and you can love and accept yourself. And when you love and accept yourself, therefore it leads you to loving more people. What, uh, what are your thoughts and reflections on what, what Derek's been saying, Rachel, as far as where you sit? I mean, like, I'm, I always play devil's advocate. Like, um, so for me, like, we're, we're very different in how we process. Like, I can have my own beliefs and still also, like, negate them. So for me, it's like, you know, like, I feel like a mental health epidemic is very cultural. Um, and a lot of what we're seeing, you know, like everybody watched the social dilemma, you know, everybody knows what it's like to seek approval. And I don't think, and I, like, this is going to make me sound like a horrible person of faith, but I don't think you need Jesus to, to find worth in yourself and to, to love other people. And I don't think that Christianity mm -hmm. has a monopoly on love. And I don't think mm -hmm. that I like agree. you need to receive Jesus to feel self-worth and self-importance. Um, and I think like, you but know, what if that is receiving Jesus and, and that's a worldview, you know, that's a lot, a lot of universal Christians say like, if you partake in love, you partake in God, you know, but I still have a hard time with that. And I'm actually, um, going live with one of my friends who's an atheist talking about universal reconciliation and how atheists kind of navigate that. And because for me, it's like, well, it doesn't matter because I feel like you're just going to be saved anyway as a, as a universal, um, you know, universal reconciliation kind of deal. Um, that's still deciding for them. That's still believing things for them. So I have an issue with that ethically, you know? Um, mm. So I, like, I'm telling you, like, when I say I'm not landing anywhere, like, um, my brain is, like, so convoluted all the time where I'm just like constantly in the game myself so I don't feel like I can land anywhere a lot so like in my brain like do I believe at the end of the day that Jesus is deity and that the Trinitarian faith is like true yes for me I believe that but like there's like a million things that I can just be like well like what about this what about this what about this so yeah talking like why while I think that that is a great worldview for him um and why I think my you know, worldview is great for me because it brings me closer to the goal of loving people and all of that stuff. I don't feel like you need it. Can I answer a question from the comments? Go for it. Um, I feel like Michaela is not satisfied with anything that I'm saying. No, I think she's, <laughs> great she's like, that's not enough. You need to just throw it. No, kidding. She's awesome. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, honestly, you know, if it's a hindrance to someone and it's like traumatic, like I'm not saying that you need to call something Jesus. Like, look, like I'm just saying, like, I, I, I believe this to be true and I believe it to be beneficial. And I think that what has caused a lot of trauma and caused a lot of pain for so many people um, that we love and know dearly, including ourselves in a lot of ways, 
is the additional baggage of religion and like organized structural religion in its essence is awful. It's mm-hmm. fucking awful. Tweet that. <laughs> yeah, I just did a, um, a podcast with Pastor With No Answers. And like one thing that I really harped on is like, you know, if we want to talk about universal reconciliation, we want to talk about eternal conscious torment and all of those different things. Like, like I don't believe and I would never believe in a God who would see the state of the church today and expect people to actually want to receive that and actually want to receive him. And, you know, Jesus came to like tear down the religious Pharisees and tear down religion and all of this various stuff. And we're seeing it again. And so like, how can an ethical, loving, pure, non-narcissistic God of love. And we all know what love feels like, like, People say, like, it's not happiness, it's not joy, that's fleeting. I'm sorry, but, like, it feels good to be happy. So how can you tell me that not being happy is... You you know what I'm saying? I I could go off on that. Anyway. um, But how can you have the church as convoluted and as abusive and as toxic as it is and, like, say that I need to believe in that? You know, like, there's just not a chance. Not a chance for a lot of people. And how much, like, fallout comes from that like, you cannot tell me that a loving, ethical God would torment people for eternity for not receiving the convoluted picture of Christ that we have today. I think the thing that, that you push so hard against is this dogmatic rejection of people based on the categorization of the tribe that they place themselves in as identified by what you intellectually think the picture of the universe is within and and if I draw like a, a controversial or not so controversial point to for potentially like whether the atheist or Christian listeners of the show is that it seems to me that what you're pointing at within religion doesn't only exist within religion. I mean, you look at the the heavily critiqued quote unquote far left. You find in a lot of the you better think exactly this or we're going to abuse you and call you an idiot and you're an absolute wank, all of those things. Sure, you might be able to justify it and say they're, what they're doing is oppressive in those things. But the very fundamentalism with which much of the left, well, probably a small portion, who knows what portion of it, would, would say of the political left, so to speak, they're pushing against in this fundamentalism often represents the exact same fundamentalism that they push against by saying, if you don't subscribe to this set of beliefs, you're an idiot, you're an outcast, you're not part of our tribe. The same goes on the political right. The same goes for, like, I think this pattern of creating certainty and then enforcing it upon everybody exists within religion and exists whether we're almost religious in nature towards towards any tribal group we have, we like, we have to be right. And therefore we make other people wrong. And that's what I think makes you like conversations with, with people like you on the show of ideas digest. I think you embody it quite well because atheists and people who might identify in that categorical box and go, yep, this fits and this works for me. They're not, they're not satisfied. (laughs) And, and the Christians listening they they're not satisfied and you're in this liminal space in between where you're not giving hard and fast answers you're saying well well this jesus narrative and story works for me and and here's where it leads me and then and then 
Rachel saying, well, you know, so much trauma attached to it. I don't need this label anymore. And it's this, I suppose, open-handedness. And the, the, the interesting question that I think, or the less interesting question that I think both Christians and atheists can get hung up on is the what's right, what's true, what's the best one. And I suppose as we explore these ideas on Ideas Digest, that's the agree and disagree that I think is less interesting than the what I think is the more important question is, where does this lead you? Which is when I was talking to you, Derek, is like, where does this acceptance of Jesus in this capacity lead you? And Rachel, where does this... Um, not where where does not having a need to identify as these things where does that lead you and i think i think that's what makes it a very interesting conversation as we just try and explore these things i got i got friends that i'm hearing in my head they'll just be saying completely saying oh just slippery ill you can't tie them down they don't know like what they believe in all those things but it sounds like you're both kind of content in that space of not knowing and more uncertainty than the certainty you had before would that be a fair assumption yeah i think a lot of certainty can be oppressive um and so for me to sit here in certainty that strips somebody of their very real lived experience um and so that's what i really try and like caution myself against Mm -hmm. um is like giving certainty and giving hard and fast answers because like, like I could be as wrong as the next person. And I don't know, like you can sit there and say you have faith and you know, and you're experienced this and experience that. And I can literally go to the next person that'll contradict everything that has the same lived experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh yeah, like this is truth. And like, e- if you don't have this truth, I'm sorry, you know? And so for me, it's like, yeah, like people can think that I'm like not standing on solid ground, that I'm like the like on the sandy beach or whatever, instead of like on mountain on hill or whatever. Can't remember right now, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think that this is a much more solid ground to be for me personally, because like my guide is if I'm leaving people better than I found them, and if I'm respecting myself and I'm respecting other people. Um, and if my belief system gets me there and doesn't infringe on somebody else's rights, autonomies, beliefs, all of that stuff as like grown ass adults can make their own decisions, then like, that's where I'm going to stay because it's not up to me to decide what's best for somebody else, you know, like to get like 2% of somebody's life and be like, "Mm, I know better. That's ignorant. Because it's, it's funny. We've been talking for an hour and 20 and, and a lot of the people in, in the chats. The questions kind of are the same question. And, and maybe if, if, I, if I answer it as at least what enough. I'm picking up. <laughs> it, it, well, I think, I think what I'm hearing in these questions like, uh, like, is Jesus really the best interface? Is it really the best spiritual experience? And it sounds to me the answer you would give to that would be for me. For me, yes. Yes. Yeah. But you're also at the same time saying I it's it's not a satisfying answer because where it sounds like all tribes are programmed to look for the answer, right. not 
your answer. And if it's your answer, then it's not as valid as the answer. And so I'm going to leave that there and I'm going to go and find the correct answer, which you guys seem to be saying, I'm not, I can't be a hundred percent sure what I found is the answer. It's helping me at the moment. It might change. And I'm just on that journey. Does that sound like a fair summary of where you're both at? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if that's for Derek. I think he'll always call himself a Christian all of that. I'm not sure really where I'm headed. I'm holding it with open hands. Um, I just know that like, and I hate to be cliche, like love is my guide. That sounds so like new age, (laughs) but like, like people are my guide and, and relating to people and having them be seen as my guide. And so like for me, yes, exactly what you said for me, it works, but like, I've also never lived an experience of like having a conversion to Islam or experience wedding, experiencing what it's like to um, meditate in Buddhism, you know, and like use crystals and like receive things in that way. Like I've not had those experiences. And I'm sure if I, you know, like latched onto those things, I would be saying that my truth is completely different, you know, because my lived experience was different. Mm-hmm. So for me to say like, okay, because I experienced this like divine radical feeling of love in a Christian church and was handed a Bible very quickly after and indoctrinated for a lot of years after that was in a Christian community. Does that make it truth? I don't think so for other people, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I understand roughly where you sit in this, this kind of this in between space that you're you're kind of happy to sit within and it's very it's a very interesting conversation to have two people with different worldviews but with similar values that are seemingly expressed differently so i guess is there anything you you might want to say to to kind of wrap up or, or clarify before we finish yeah i mean like i, I don't know I, I i'm laughing just seeing michaela's comment about uh <laughs> She not she doesn't get my understandings, um, but <laughs> that's totally fine. Like I I think that um, I, I don't know. All why do we have to have every all of us? We we don't have all the answers. I mean, I don't have all the answers. Um, I I think that again, it goes back to how we're living our lives, and for me, like the more I come to know who Jesus Jesus truly is to me. I told you you'd be stumbling over our words. I said that. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. I also have not eaten dinner. um, And I'm very sick. I thought about that before because he expected me to buy dinner for him, but. Oh no. Well, you did really well. I I couldn't tell that you were hangry at all. And he said he didn't want Panda Express. So I got me and my son dinner and he was mad at me for Panda Express. Oof. You should have known. You should have known, Rachel. That's completely your fault. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Completely mediated. All right. No wife. Right. Solved. Um, just know. <laughs> anyway, I'm comfortable with. I think a lot of people are actually saying in the comments, like living in the gray, living in the mystery, mm-hmm. and like, kind of like what Rachel was saying, like love is the guide. But for me, like because I, I've, I feel like I know the person of Jesus. Like, to me, that is enough. And I, I don't, I don't know if that's sufficient for everyone, but that's fine with me. Like I'm just at peace with where I'm at. 
And I think that if that's not something that's sufficient for other people, then all right, you know. <laughs> all right. I'm far more interested in people's healing and people's mental health than I am in them believing a certain religious. Derek, Rachel, thanks for taking so much time whilst hungry to, to chat to us as long as you did and answer the questions coming through on the, on the chats. Whether, whether you agree or disagree, that is not the space that Ideas Digest finds interesting. We find it interesting to explore the people behind the idea and how the ideas serve us, really. So if you have any questions, you can send them through to ideasdigest at gmail.com. You can, uh, one, listen to the episode that triggers you the most. Two, leave a comment on questions you wish I'd have asked. Or three, send us a message. Love to hear from you. What rabbit holes do you think we should dive into <laughs> next? Derek, Rachel, thank you so much thank for taking you, so much time uh, and being just open and honest and, and hopefully people understand you a little bit more about that. And if you've made it to the end of this bloody long episode because i don't know i feel like i don't get anywhere i feel like it takes 50 minutes to get like really yeah. into a nice <laughs> rabbit hole that's maybe that's just me yeah uh but but if you get to the end of this episode it is your now moral obligation and duty to rate and review the podcast and also give it to someone who you might trigger be like I think you should listen to this, you know, in that smug little way. Oh, you should listen to this. I don't, I don't, actually, you don't have to be smug. You can just recommend it to somebody because you've listened to the whole thing. Anyway, thanks for listening and Love we will you catch all. you in yeah. the next episode. Thank you for watching.